Well, good morning, Oakwood. We are continuing in our series from the book of Titus. Today's title is called Respect Your Ministers. Now, I grew up in a home where we had quite a bit of respect for the ministers. It was just given that we respected the, the position of pastor. And when I got out of Bible college in my first ministry, I just kind of assumed that everyone else would have that same amount of respect for the position of minister that my family had. And I quickly found out uh, right after I got to Watonga, a gentleman in the community, he was a prominent business leader, and he said, Alan, you seem like a reasonably sharp guy. Wasn't there anything else you could do? I said, well, yes, Fred, there's actually a lot of things I could have, could have done, but this is what I feel God has called me to do. Well, my first experience with CIY, and it was, the registration was done way differently back then than it is now, Jeremy, because right now you have to register virtually a year in advance. Then you just showed up with your group. And they opened up the registration, and they requested that one leader from every group came up to, to, to come up to, to do the registration. And so they opened up the registration, and let me tell you, it was kind of mass chaos back then. So I went up to the front, because they had made that announcement, we need uh, the youth leader from every group to come up to register your group. So I went up there to get in line, and, and we're going to show you a couple of pictures of a young Alan right out of college here uh, behind me. Now, would you assume that this was another student or possibly the youth leader? So I walked up there, and they said, hey, uh, we need your youth leader up here. I said, I am the youth leader. Uh, they said, yeah, seriously, get your youth leader up here. And I said, seriously, I am the youth leader. Okay, kid, go get, go get the adult that's in charge here. So y you can see I looked a little younger there than I do maybe right now. And, and I found out at an early age that the respect at least wasn't just automatically given. And I had to go through a little bit of convincing that, hey, guys, I actually am the youth leader here. Okay. And so eventually we got, we got our group registered. But I want to compare that to when we, uh, oh, look at those shorts, my goodness. <laughs> and uh, Leah's hairstyle, wow. So, uh, okay, we've seen enough of that. I want to compare that to when I went to Swaziland, Africa, and they introduced me, and they found out I was a pastor. Oh, pastor, pastor. And I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> it was such a respected, almost revered position. And they had so much respect for that position of, of pastor, I felt like a celebrity. I believe the ministry used to be more respected than it is today, and a lot of that is because there's been some very highly publicized megachurch leaders and, and televangelists that have had some failures that made national news. Many of you might remember the name that kind of started off the, the whole, I guess, uh, national media perception of, of ministers was Jimmy Swaggart. Do you remember that? And that was moral failure with him. And then came Jim Baker. And then uh, 
Bill Hybels from the big church in Chicago. More recently, Brian Houston, founder of the Hillsong Church, and then one of his associates, Carl Lentz, also from Hillsong. Perry Noble from the New Spring Church, and the latest was Matt Chandler, and we've used some of his material and teaching, and you may have read some of his books from the Village Church in Dallas. But these guys had ma some major moral failures or, or legal failures, and all of a sudden, the respect and the position of minister lost its value. Even here in Oklahoma, we've had some arrests of some pastors, either for some uh, abuse charges or maybe some embezzlement charges or something. And every time this happens, it devalues the position of minister. And it just seems like that the respect just isn't there. And it tarnishes the reputation. I think in general, our society doesn't respect authority like they used to. And we see this everywhere from teachers in the classroom, to school administrators, to coaches, to referees, police officers, even trusted, respected positions that have been trusted for so long, such as doctors, now sometimes don't get the respect that they deserve or that they once, once had. And I think an issue is that we are really rebellious at heart. We think that we know what's best for our lives and nobody can tell me what to do. So Paul writes to young Titus, a, a young minister, and he tells him to do the work of an evangelist. Now we're in part eight here. Let me just kind of quickly review what we've learned so far. Week one, we saw that we need to stand firm for the truth, then to choose leaders wisely. He said, guard against rebels to set an example. Mitter for the uh, future and faith and family. A couple weeks ago, we talked about making Christianity attractive in the marketplace or in the world. Living our lives in such a way that we draw people to Jesus rather than repel. Last week, we talked about living holy lives in an ungodly world. Today, we only have one verse that we're going to key on, and that's from Titus chapter 2, verse 15. And follow along with me. And Paul writes, These then are the things that you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. And do not let anyone despise you. So Paul told Titus that he needs to teach the scriptures as well as to live them. And he told him to act in authority and don't let anyone disregard or disrespect you. And that office that you held. And he gave him four ways that as a pastor, as a minister, that he can promote godliness within the congregation. And I want to tell you right now that churches without good godly pastors are going to be spiritually stunted. They're just not going to grow to the level that God expects them to. And every Christian in every church needs pastoral care. God designed us as sheep, not to live in a pasture all by ourselves, but to live under a shepherd. A sheep all by himself in a, in a pasture all by himself does not last very long. He needs that shepherd. That's God's design. So if a church is going to continue to grow and change life, there has to be respect for the leaders from all the members. And I believe 
it's important for us to understand that there are roles that both the minister and the members of the congregation have to have. And when we don't clearly define those roles and, and people don't understand those roles, all kinds of confusion and chaos can happen. We've seen what a few disgruntled people can do. They can sow a lot of discord within the body of Christ. And both ministers and members have a role within that church. And when we don't fully understand them, if we're not clear about those roles, then we just get confused. And we see this all the time, whether it's in the business world, in the office place. Oh, I thought you were locking up the building tonight. No, you were Who was doing it? It didn't get done. I thought you were meeting with that customer. I thought you were following up with that person. How many times in the, the coaching, well, I thought you were guarding that person. No, not me. Or you were supposed to be covering that base. Not me. So it's important that we understand our roles that the minister has and the congregation has. So I want to look at those two areas of responsibility today, the minister's responsibility and the church member's responsibility. The first is to teach. First and foremost, every Christian needs a pastor who teaches God's Word, to teach them to lead godly lives. And I believe that is probably, as ministers, our most important duty. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul admonished Timothy. He said, be ready to preach in season, out of season. Anytime, you be ready to preach. He also told us to always be prepared to give a, a, an answer for those who question about why we have hope and to give a, an account for the hope that we have in Jesus. My very first mission trip that I ever went on was an inner city trip to Atlanta, Georgia, and I was that young guy that you saw in those pictures. And... Um, the director of that mission, his name was Jim Vernon, and we were doing some work in a downtown park in Atlanta, Georgia, feeding some homeless people and stuff, and he said, Alan, I want you to go stand on that street corner and preach. Now, my idea of preaching is when I went to a church and I was prepared, I'd studied, I had my Bible and notes, and, he, and I, I said, Jim, I'm really not prepared to go preach right now. You're supposed to be prepared. Always be prepared. I said, I don't have anything ready. He goes, you go talk to him about Jesus. I'm like, J just go stand on the street corner here and, and start preaching. And, and Yeah, so what I want you to do, I want you to go tell people about Jesus. That's why the scripture said, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. A few years ago, Christianity Today polled 700 senior ministers and asked them to list their priorities, what they considered their priorities. Number one was preaching. Two was teaching. Three, counseling and pastoring. Four, organizing and administration. And then they were asked to rate those functions about as far as actually what those were their priorities, what in their mind was, but then where they spent their time on a weekly basis, on the actual amount of time. Number one was administration. That was last on their priority list, but they spend an average of over 20 hours a week on administration. 
And the very first and second preaching and teaching were the things that they spent the least amount of time on. Sometimes only four and five hours a week studying for the preaching and teaching. Ministers must spend time in study because you cannot teach someone else what you have not first learned yourself. And so, if you ever show up here, maybe to visit with Eric and, and, and he's off-site studying or he's in his office studying, he needs study time. I need study time. And so, we have to commit time to study God's Word because in order for us to teach and to feed you, we can't throw out stale bread and expect you to grow and, and to be fed spiritually. We assume this word teach here in verse 15 applies to just preaching and teaching, but the Greek word here is much broader, and it's very simple, and it really encompasses all forms of talking, not just uh, the preaching and teaching, but every conversation, whether it's over coffee or whether it's a, a lunchtime conversation. And in today's media world, you know, digital world, it'd be our Facebook posts, tweets, and and, uh, the Twitter and all that. Anytime you are speaking or, or having communication, you need to be speaking God's biblical truth. And that's what Paul intended Titus to communicate biblical truth in every speaking opportunity he had, every conversation that he had. So that's why I believe as, as pastors and ministers, we have to be so concerned with what we communicate not just from the pulpit here but in every conversation that we have and every time that we meet with people we need to be teaching and and sharing God's biblical truths the second thing here is encouragement every Christian needs a pastor who is able to encourage them not just to kind of you know brighten their day to give them a, a, a kind of a warm fuzzy to lift them up a little bit, but to encourage them to stay in the fight for the souls of man, to encourage them to stay in the fight for their families, to encourage them to continue to live godly and holy lives. And Paul told the believers here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you'd become so dear to us. I want to let you in on, uh, on, on something, church family. We love you guys. You are our family. My closest family is four hours away. You are my family. And you are very dear to us. And I want to be an encouragement to you. Eric wants to be an encouragement to you to stay in the, the fight, into the battle, the spiritual battle for the souls of man, for the souls of your family, so that you continue to, to live and walk in a godly life. Romans 15, verse 4. says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. There's a difference in encouragement and chastisement. There's a difference between encouragement and motivation. 
The Greek word used here is parakaleo, which essentially means to encourage, to appeal, to exhort, to ask someone to pursue a certain course. And this is the same word that was used in in verse 6 of chapter 2 of of Titus here, where Paul said, encourage young men to be self-controlled, to encourage. Third thing is to rebuke, the rebuke. To call people to account, to show one's fault, to correct, to convict is what the dictionary says a rebuke is. And, And let me tell you something. Rebuke is the least favorite job of any pastor. To point out to someone that, hey, you begin to stray and to walk towards sin. It's a lot more uh, enjoyable to tell people, to encourage them that, hey, you're walking with the Lord. And we see God growing you know, your, your spiritual life growing and God working in your life. We would rather do that than point out to you that you begin to stray. That's never fun. But Paul said, Titus, that's, that's one of your responsibilities. To tell people when they stray into sin. You know, we like it when people always tell us what we want to hear, right? How do I look today? Oh, you look great. When really you need somebody to tell you, hmm, you have anything else you can put on? <laughs> you like my hair? Mm, not really. <laughs> Maybe we get into a, a discussion here and a disagreement and you say, am I wrong here? And you want them to say, no, you're not wrong there. You're, but you need somebody to say, yes, you are wrong here. There are some biblical examples. Nathan, the prophet, rebuked David for both adultery and murder. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees on many occasions. I mean, he rebuked them for their actions, their attitude. Jesus rebuked Peter after he was arrested just by simply looking at him when the rooster crowed Jesus looked at him, and he rebuked him. Didn't even need to say a word. Paul in Galatians chapter 2 rebuked the apostle Peter to his face when Peter was promoting some racial cliques within the church, and Paul rebuked him. What's the purpose of the rebuke? Well, the purpose of a rebuke is always to produce godliness. To always encourage a brother or sister to turn away from sin and to come back to the Lord. It's never to destroy that person, never to destroy their faith, but it's always to encourage them to turn back. And sometimes that rebuke may be more effective if it's soft and, and, and tender and gentle. Sometimes that rebuke may need to be more harsh. Sometimes, parents, you may have to give a soft rebuke to your kids to correct their behavior. Other times, it might be a very stern rebuke. Sometimes you don't even have to say a word. You can just look at them, and they know they better shape up. But I want to tell you, 
Rebuking has become a lost vir- virtue. Churches don't want to do the dirty work of rebuking. Instead, they want to take the easy route of just accepting sin rather than confronting it. And sadly, a lot of ministers have gone right along with that and followed the world. Sometimes churches and pastors are more concerned about being relevant and being accommodating rather rather than rebuking. And we begin to excuse sin as brokenness and disease. And we need to start calling sin what the Bible calls it is sin. It breaks the heart of God and it separates you from His fellowship. It's evil and it's unholy. That's what sin is. Not brokenness. It's sin. But when we slipped up, when we're broken, when that just sounds a lot gentler, doesn't it? Rather than you've got sin in your life. Paul says that ministers are to teach, encourage, and rebuke. And he says, how are we to do this? With authority. Now, there's one extreme here where some people, that's all they do is rebuke. There's never any encouragement. There's never any, uh, you know, teaching. But it's just a lot of rebuking. And Paul says that we are to do those things, but we are to rebuke with authority. But i got to be honest, a lot of... Pastors and ministers are more like life coaches or spiritual cheerleaders. And that's what churches have come to expect, that they want to come into church and feel good and be all fluffed up and, okay, I've I've heard a good word today and I feel good, now I'm going to go out into the world where what they need to do is hear a message with authority. Paul says to to speak with authority, to act on authority, and don't let anyone disregard you or despise you. So where does this authority come from? Two ways, okay? Two ways. First is the call of God. The call of God. God has anointed some, as the Scripture tells us, some to preach, some to, to teach, some to lead, do all these things. God has called and anointed some to teach and lead His church. And when you sense a person has been gifted and called by God to be the minister, then as a church member, you should respect that role. Respect that role that person has been called to. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church which he bought with his own blood so the first way that the minister gets authority is from God the second way is from scripture the word of God he has not only a a calling from God but now he has a positional authority given to him by God by his calling and his scriptural authority Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says obey your your leaders and submit to their authority they keep watch over you as men who must give an account obey them so that their work will be a joy not a burden for that would be of no advantage to you so friends I want to tell you something 
ministers are put in this position through the authority of God, through his calling, and also backed up with the authority of Scripture. So if the preacher is preaching the Bible, a true Christian should respect that as authoritative. But while a minister has been given authority from God in Scripture, it also comes with a great responsibility. Anybody that has given more responsibility also carries more accountability. We see the first thing is that a minister needs to live a life of integrity. It's important that people see the same person here in this building, on this stage, as they see out everywhere else. That you live your life in such a way that it reflects the glory of Jesus Christ. That you live your life with integrity. That's consistent with what you say from this pulpit. When pastors live that life of integrity, it greatly increases their influence. Not just here, but beyond these walls. Also, second way is the life of service. Jesus came and modeled to us servanthood. He said, I'm coming to serve you. He washed their feet. He served. That's why we also have to serve. And when we model servanthood for you, it greatly increases our influence even further. Also, the support of the church elders. Scripture always shows us that there was a plurality of godly men that led the church, the elders. And the elders are the overseers of the church, and they are to direct the affairs of the church and help shepherd the flock. And the minister's authority is only as good as the church leaders and the elders who stand behind them. I know we have some teachers here in the room, and a, teacher, a teacher's authority is only as good as the principal and the school administrator that stands behind them. If the principal and school administrators don't back up their authority, they really are rendered powerless. And Paul goes on to say, do not let anyone despise you. Some versions say, do not let anyone disregard you. Dismiss you, in other words. Now, I thought that was kind of funny. How does Titus have any control over whether someone dismisses him or despises him? I thought about that. And you see, that leads right into the responsibility of a church member. This is your part. To be submissive. To be submissive to the church leaders. I've seen churches where almost everybody sits at the back of the, the, the congregation. Maybe you've been there before, and maybe the song leader or preacher says, Hey, after this first song, let's all come to the front. Let's all come up here. And then you've got somebody sitting back here like, I ain't moving. You can't tell me what to do. I'm staying here. You have no authority over me to tell me where to sit and where not to sit. 
We tried that a few years ago, like in the first service. We tried to rope off some areas here to try to get people to sit more here in the middle. And guess what? They moved the, the stanchions. They just sit wherever they wanted to anyway. <laughs> Unless it's a violation of biblical conviction, we should have a submissive and a cooperative spirit towards our ministers and leaders of the church. Read with me in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. You see, the leaders are called to give an account for how they lead. And through that attitude of submission, God is glorified. Second thing is, is to be studious, to study. Let me let you in on just a little secret. Ministers love this, okay? When they're preaching, is if they feel you're engaged, writing notes, looking, you know, actively engaged, sitting on the edge of the seat. Ministers love that. Not so much when you're napping through the service, you know, that's... Um, don't love that so much. But we're told not to take everything they say without examining it to make sure that it lines up with Scripture. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, we see the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Hmm. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. That is part of your responsibility is to make sure that what's being spoke and taught from this pulpit, it lines up with Scripture. Amen. Now, I, I want to tell you that our elders is going to be the first line of defense to make sure that doctrine is solid. But it is also your responsibility. Be prayerful. Pray for your ministers every day. Pray that they will remain faithful to their calling, that they will remain faithful in, in their personal lives. Pray for our families. Pray that we'll be protected from harm and temptation. Pray that, that we will lead well and have the energy to do the ministry set before us. We covet your prayers. Hey, the, the devil is trying to harpoon a lot of ministers, and if he can take a, a minister down... A lot of times he takes a church with him. Pray for us. Lastly is be encouraging and loving. You know, ministers take a lot of criticism, and typically we're, we're, we're very hard on ourselves. When we make a mistake, we are way harder on ourselves than you guys are. You guys are probably way more gracious than we are to ourselves. But a minister's work is never finished and we never feel like that we've studied enough, that we've prayed enough, that we've shook enough hands, that we've talked to enough people, we've smiled at enough people. And I want to tell you, your words of deeds and encouragement really go a long way 
in inspiring ministers. And we need people just to come alongside of us and, and just hold up our, our arms. Israel was in, in, a, in a battle with the Amalekites in Exodus chapter 17. Moses didn't go into battle, but he stayed on the hill. And he said, I'm going to raise my staff. And as long as his staff and his arms were raised up, they were winning. But when he got tired and the staff fell down, they began losing. But raise them back up, they're winning again. But he got tired. Who can stay there all day with your arms up? You can't. Even a staff, as light as that was, eventually his arms got heavy. They brought a stone for him to sit on. And then Aaron and Hur stood on one side of him and held up each arm all day long till sunset, and the battle was won. Friends, sometimes we just need some people to come alongside of us and just hold up our arms because we get tired. We're, we're weary. But I want to tell you when it's a beautiful thing, when the ministers fulfill their calling to God, and church members fulfill their calling and their responsibility, and we work together, the kingdom is unstoppable. Amen? And the church has a great influence. 